at Vanderbilt. It's Tim Corbin in the Vandy Boys, Jerry Stackhouse on the hardwood, and Clark Lee on the gridiron. Nashville, it's time to sit back, relax, grab a cold one, and enjoy the show. The Music City is our state, and West End is where we rock. You're listening to The Door Report. The premier Vanderbilt podcast for fans who bleed black and gold. Commodore Nation. Anchor down. Welcome into the Door Report. It is episode 143. It is February 9th, 2022. We are powered by Alaco Finewood Floors. And Will, we got another basketball victory to recap. Vanderbilt defeated Missouri by 8, 70 to 62. They had to hold on late. They started turning the ball over again there towards the end, similar to the LSU game. But you had a few guys step up. You had all five starters in double figures. That hasn't happened yet all season long. And what do you know, Vanderbilt gets that win. And all of a sudden, Will, Vanderbilt's got some momentum, not just, you know, in terms of, of, of beating good teams, but in terms of postseason hopes. I mean, that's what two SEC wins will do to you. So, Will, hold your horses here. I, I think if Vanderbilt could find a way to squeeze out a victory in Knoxville, they might still be alive. And Billy, the most dangerous thing right now for Vanderbilt fans, me probably the most, is hope. Because we have to remember how backloaded the schedule is for Vanderbilt. They've got some upcoming matchups against Auburn, who was ranked number one after the upset against Auburn. They aren't now. They have at Tennessee and Knoxville. And then they just have some better teams. They don't play Georgia. They don't even play South Carolina, who they lost Mm -hmm. to. They don't play Missouri. They just play a higher class of SEC team. And we're going to see where this team really stands and where Stackhouse is. And if they really are a dark horse, like you're seeing a little bit of buzz across Twitter and across some different, different writers across different sites that are kind of targeting Vanderbilt as maybe a team that can make that late push as a bubble team. And if they can, Billy, you know, I love the Ken Palm, the RPI, BPI, net ranking stats, matchups, huge stat guy, Q1, (laughs) Q2. So that's what I'm looking forward to. And the fact that we're even having this conversation right now, Billy, I think that is a step in the right direction and even a little bit above our expectations of where we'd be at this point in the season. I'd have to agree. And well, there's, there, there is no more Georgia's there's no more South Carolina's on this schedule. So that's the bad news. But the good news is everything is in front of this team right now that they control their own destiny. And we will get into all that. We'll get into scenarios. We'll get into if they win this game, how are they looking? If they lose this one, how are they looking? But Will, bottom line is they can't afford to lose too many more of these because the the, the error for uh, the margin for error is very thin right now. So we will dive into a little bit of football, though. We've got Jesse Minter headed to Michigan. Nick Howell, uh, the DB's coach, has just been promoted to defensive coordinator. And Will, later on, will also be joined by Shane Foster, of course, the recent uh, Jersey retiree there. You will be joined I, by I will Shane be joined. Foster. I want to point that out because I'm unbelievably jealous of this. <laughs> hey, I was jealous of you not being able to be there. So that, that's, uh, I guess we evened out. But Will, before we get to all that, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at door underscore report and Instagram door dot report. Like us on Facebook, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Our podcast is available on Anchor, iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And while you're at it, give our podcast five stars and a review on iTunes. All right, let's get to the breaking news. No matter what style you're going for, you can trust your flooring job to Alaco Fine Wood Floors. Take a walk through the woods in your home every day. Get your flooring job started today by calling 615-356-0303. Alaco Fine Wood Floors. Craftsmanship you can stand on. All right, well, before we get to any of the basketball, I want to get into a little bit of football talk because let's be honest, football talk never goes away. I mean, it's it doesn't, especially in the SEC, there is no offseason. And before we get to the defensive coordinator news, uh, I ended up writing an article this week after essentially being inspired to write it after a DM from Reese Mooney, a 2023 uh, quarterback commit, the only commit in that class. And well, it was pretty random. He actually just, D- I'm going to release it. He, he told us we could. Uh, he ended up DMing uh, our door report uh, Twitter and just basically said, 
everything uh, glowing reviews about this coaching staff. He said they're doing everything they can to right the ship uh, in Nashville. His full quote is actually in the article. You can go check it out on our website, doorport.com. We put the link out on our Twitter. But, Will, I think a lot of this kind of stemmed around our old podcast in the past that we had with guys like Whit Taylor and Watson Brown and Norma Jordan and Jim Arnold and all guys like that, and even Chris Williams, a more recent teammate of Clark, of Clark Lee. And, Will, I, I thought it'd be really cool to connect Vandy greats of the past with some of the future Vandy greats. I think a lot of these guys will end up being really good players uh, on Vanderbilt's campus and what they're saying. And, Will, I, I know in today's day and age, actions speak louder than words. I'm a big believer in that. But essentially what I kind of developed is that what these guys are saying, these older Commodore alums and what these new players are saying kind of connected those and, and, and came together and kind of decided that, hey, the, the foundation is being built. You know, the foundation is there to sustain success. Now, nothing has happened on the football field to, I think, sway any Vandy fans right now, but the foundation is there. And I think the fact, Will, that a lot of these older Commodore alums speak so highly of him, I don't think we've seen that from a Vanderbilt coach. And I, I titled the article, Clark Lee is reinventing the head coaching role at Vanderbilt. And, you know, I, I did that because I don't think any coach has, has, has kind of coached the way he's, he has and kind of developed the relationships he has. So uh, hopefully a lot of people were able to read that, Will, but that's essentially what I was getting at. And I know you enjoyed a lot of those. I really enjoyed getting some older Commodore alums on. I know we've, we've had Ron Bargatze, a former coach, on on the basketball side before, but I think it's always good to – to get those older alums connected with kind of some of these newer generation of players and, and say, Hey, it, what, what Clark Lee's doing right now uh, can work and should work, you know, I, theoretically. Yeah. I mean that you, you just had a long, long spiel there, Billy, but I, I do want to say again, to go read that article that you put out on the doorreport.com. It's great. There's a ton of quotes from a ton of different past guests there. So you spent a lot of time on that and definitely go check it out. And it was a great read. So we'll probably tweet that out a couple more times with the amount of yeah, effort you we'll put in there. But, but that's the positive it is the Reese Mooney quotes, the kind of feeling soft season, this Jesse mentor news, not necessarily the most positive. No, news. no. Um, and, and, and we don't want to glaze over that. We did release the article. We want to, we want to keep pointing towards that because that was released right before this news came out. Um, it's still <laughs> oh, a good ironically. summation of the, of the overall feeling of what, mm -hmm. what you have around this program, but Nick Howe steps into that role. Mm -hmm. I know it's quick. I know he's moving from the defensive back uh, coach position. He's moving into the DC role, um, but this isn't a new role for him. Uh, I said before we started this podcast here, because I kind of want to get into this just a little bit and we'll cover it more in the off season. Mm -hmm. Of course, when basketball is not on a role winning three out of their three out of their last four games, yeah. but this isn't a fresh role for Nick Howe. Um, it feels like what, what we mentioned when we were discussing kind of our notes before this podcast, it feels a little bit like what happened on the offensive side of the ball with David Rye and Joey Lynch. Mm -hmm. You had two guys with one that has the experience at the offensive coordinator position in Joey Lynch at, in the past. That would be Nick Howell. Um, mm -hmm. that, that would be who was taking over for Jesse Menner. And then you kind of have the young gun with NFL coaching experience. That's the Schwab, younger guy, young gun, hot shot, hot coaching hire without the great experience, but has great potential and interviews. Great. Right. That was Jesse mentor. Right. Uh, you look at his resume, you look at where he's coached in the past. I'm going to be 100% honest. I'm sure he interviews. Great. Why would Michigan take a shot? Why would a program like Michigan take a shot on a guy that is literally I, I by definition, completely unproven. I, I like what he did with Vanderbilt's defense last year. They were able to create turnovers with inferior talent. But are you you're telling me that Michigan and Jim Harbaugh that that's the best that they could do at the defensive coordinator position is pulling Vanderbilt's DC, who was formerly a defensive back coach, and just like three four years ago in 2018 was just a defensive assistant for the Baltimore Ravens. That's the best the Michigan Wolverines could do. Man, that yeah. certainly doesn't make me want to make any ch coaching changes at Vanderbilt if that's who they are able to get. Because, my God, I mean, that feels like a reach to me. Maybe yeah. I'm just looking at it through that lens, but but I think Hal is completely capable of doing this job. And with the class that they have coming in of defensive backs, the turnover at that position, I, th I think he'll do a great job, especially when the defensive backs were really the only decent part of this defense last season. Yeah, And he was I the coach with experience at a Power 5 program previously 
in Virginia and a good program in BYU. So there you go, Billy. That's my spiel on the defensive it. coordinator change. Yeah. Well, I honestly don't think Vandy fans have too much to worry about with this. Nick Howell has plenty of experience, and I know Virginia fans and BYU fans are going to come come back with us and saying, hey, we are happy he's not at our school. Uh, but I think at a school like Vanderbilt, um, you know, I don't think you can be complaining about things like that, especially where this team is at and this program's at right now. On Mentor to, to, to Michigan, though, Will, I think the ties go back to Jim Harbaugh's brother, John, at Baltimore. I'm not saying that, that was a massive part of it, but I'm, I'm with you in like, hey, Vanderbilt, I mean, you go to Vanderbilt. I mean, that's, that's where you go for your coach. I get, the tie, I get the ties, but it's not even that it's pulling from Vanderbilt. It was a little bit of a reach when Vanderbilt hired him at defensive coordinator. Like when you looked at his resume, you said, this is kind of a lot, you know, a, a, in a few years, maybe I could see in five to six years, him being hired at a Michigan. But I was like, this is Vanderbilt trying to get in early on a guy that in five to six years will be going to a larger program. Mm. And it just seems like Michigan's pulling the trigger very early. I mean, you've seen literally nothing. The one point I want to make on the change is it's not quite like Joey Lynch and David Rye, because this is happening in February. So I think there's a, there, there's a little bit more time to prepare. Camp. Yeah, it's a little bit more time to prepare with the entire spring, right. entire summer, and entire fall camp yeah. to, in quotations, transition. Right. When in reality, you're not even really transitioning because you have so much turnover and the guys aren't even out there for spring right. ball yet. Yeah. So, I mean, that that's a little bit of a better situation. Yeah, I, I think too, Will, like this is not to say that Jesse Minter is not a good coach. I mean, he did do some good things at Vanderbilt, but I, I'm, I'm with you in that Michigan – I was surprised. I, like, I, I was surprised that, that Michigan went and hired him uh, and in comes Nick Howell. So, uh, but will also, you got to believe coach Lee is going to have even more of a bigger influence on this defense. Now that mentor has gone and, you know, not that Howell can't handle the role or anything, but from what I've heard, mentor and coach Lee worked really well together. And from what I've seen on Instagram, a lot of the recruits commented on actually Commodore's recruiting Instagram page and with like the broken heart emoji. So a lot of these recruits, are not happy with it, but I doubt you will see any of these recruits uh, follow him to Michigan. So again, I do think some fans are overreacting, but at the same time, uh, I, I still think it is a big loss, but you know, I don't think that will change much in the scheme wise because Clark Lee has his hands all over this defense. So no, I don't want to, and I, I don't want to mince, I, I don't want to mince words about one certain opinion of, of one thing with coaching. And this is why I'm so glad the NCAA allows guys to transfer out without losing a year of eligibility one time, without penalty. These guys in this Vanderbilt class, I'm not saying Clark Lee or any Barton Simmons or how knew anything about it. He could have kept it under wraps. I mean, this could have been fresh news, but it was kept under wraps until after pen hit paper for these guys and it had to officially be a transfer. And it was released conveniently right after signing day and mm -hmm. and that that rubs me a little bit the wrong way these guys signed under the assumption that they would be playing under this defensive coordinator under this staff at least their freshman season and it's just a little bit shitty to see it kept under wraps before these guys are locked in to have to go through the entire transfer process transfer portal and there's no open scholarships right now really because who's going to take a freshman transfer really at this point when you have the entire transfer market mm -hmm. with teams with remaining scholarships it's very limited so that is really, really shitty. And I just want to say that even though it's our team that, that may have benefited from it by, by getting a couple guys that may otherwise have not remained at Vanderbilt with this move in coaching staffs here from Vanderbilt to Michigan for Jesse Minter. But that's, that, it's just a bad, bad look, bad thing to do, <laughs> smart thing to do, veteran move, thing you see all the time in college athletics. Yeah. But that is why, even though I'm not on the on the side, I'm kind of in the middle on this whole struggle of pay the players and, and everything mm -hmm. like that. But that is one thing that the NCAA did right, even though it's created some chaos and may not always benefit your team. You have to remember it's your team, but these guys, this is their entire future. And this right. is everything that they're working towards. So right. that, was the, that was the first thing of the news before anything else. My first thought was, why would Michigan want Jesse Mentor, A, B was who's Vanderbilt going to promote in place of him? B 
and then C was, wow, that was a really shitty thing to do right after National Signing Day. So yeah. that, that's kind of where I sit with the move yeah. and the timing of everything. Definitely, definitely the timing is weird about it. So I, I guarantee you some recruits are sitting there thinking, what's going on here? And I'm sure Coach Lee was, was calling them immediately and saying, hey, you know, th- this shouldn't affect anything. Uh, but at the same time, these are 18-year-old kids you're dealing with. And, and a lot of these players have built relationships with Coach Minner. So uh, really interesting timing. And we will dive into all that. But, Will, we do have some basketball to get to. Vanderbilt ended up beating Missouri 70-62. to uh, Will, all five starters were in double figures. That's the first time this has happened uh, this season. Uh, which I think looking back, I wasn't surprised to see that. I, I don't, you know, that hasn't happened. So I, you know, that, that's kind of a, that was, that was not a surprise, but Scotty Pippen did have 19 points. You had 11 points apiece from uh, Jordan Wright and Miles Studi. Wright had a double, double with 10 rebounds. Melora Brown also had a double, double with 10 points and 11 boards. Uh, but defensively will I, this team still impresses me. I mean, they continue to impress me on the defensive end. I know Missouri is not uh, a strong offensive shooting team by any means, but they held Missouri to 20 point, 20% from three-point range, and they've done that multiple times this season. They have held other teams to very poor shooting percentages, and you know, I think that does come down to the other team not hitting shots, but at the same time, I think you have to put a lot of that on this defense and the defensive scheme that Coach Stack is implementing, and Will, all of a sudden, Vanderbilt is 13-10 and 10 overall, 5-6, and six, in the SEC, they're 80 uh, in, in Ken Palm, and it, <laughs> that actually changed uh, right as I wrote that. So it changed from 81 to 80, I think, because of the win SMU got. Uh, so SMU actually just got a win. So uh, that that turns Vanderbilt's loss into a little bit of a better loss. But, uh, Will, for Vanderbilt right now, they stand with wins over Arkansas on the road, which is an incredible win at this point of the season, and a win over LSU and BYU. So, Will, they're at seventh place in the SEC. Everything is right there in front of them. And this is the first winning record this late in the season in five years. I'd say that's a little bit of a step forward. And I think in our preview, if we had looked at this team and, and uh, before this season and they're 13 and 10, five and six in the SEC with, this, with you know, whatever, how many games are left, seven, I think, games left. Uh, they, I, I think that would, be, that, would, that would be considered a great improvement, especially after what happened last season. Just having this conversation, I mean, before the season, I think NCAA talk bubble team late in the season was our ceiling expectation yeah. for the team. Now, it hasn't exactly played out exactly how we thought it would. You've won some games. They did really well in the Diamond Head Classic, picked up the win against Arkansas, dropped two to South Carolina, beat LSU. And the injuries have played a lot into that. Rodney Chapman, I tweeted out the stat that was slightly incorrect, but it was mostly correct. The overarching you point was yourself. so correct. I corrected myself, but the <laughs> overarching point was correct. They actually only had were one in four versus one in six go right. uh, after Chapman returned. Mm-hmm. So, but they moved to seven and two since he returned to the lineup. Robin seems to be getting his feet underneath him. And you look in the NCAA net rankings, which are pretty similar to Ken Palm, but just a little bit different. Uh, the big thing for Vanderbilt, I don't want to get too early into NCAA bubble talk because there's a lot, a lot, a lot to be determined at this point versus looking at teams Vanderbilt's beat and if they're winning versus mm-hmm. not winning and where they're moving. But Vanderbilt has no losses versus NCAA net Q4 teams. So if you don't know how the That's rankings good. work, Ken, there, there's not some guaranteed set ranking system used. Ken Palm has utilized a myriad, the eye test, traditional stats, traditional record, right. traditional wins, but also these NCAA net rankings are relatively new. And these are officially from the NCAA. So these are factored in heavily. Vanderbilt right now is sitting at 82nd. Previously, 82nd. they were 83rd. 82nd in the NCAA net rankings. They are 3-6. and six, So they have three wins versus Q1 teams. So the top 25% of teams. That's how you're going to hear Quadrant things one. talked about. Quadrant 1. Quadrant 2 teams, they are, I believe, 0-2. But here's mm-hmm. the big thing. They have no Q4 losses. They are 5-0 and against Q4 teams. Because all you hear all the time is bad losses. That's a bad loss in the resume. <clears throat> Excuse me. At the beginning of the year, we thought VCU might be a bad loss in the mm-hmm. resume until we just figured out VCU is an incredible defensive team. I think right now they're the third or fourth ranked overall defensive efficiency team in the country, according to Ken Palm rankings. Mm-hmm. So Vanderbilt has won games against good teams. They've also lost games against good teams, but more importantly, they haven't lost any games to any really bad teams. And that is why, even with the 10 losses right now, Vanderbilt has an opportunity to kind of play themselves into a real NCAA tournament 
bubble team. Yeah. I'm not now they would have to play a hell of a final stretch here to play themselves into a lock into the tournament yeah. or feeling good going into it. But you could go into the SEC tournament with thinking you win two or three games and you're potentially really right there to be about a ten a ten seed there <clears throat> on the at large seed line. So a positive step in the direction that we're even talking about postseason play, we would have right. been thrilled with an NIT berth. And yeah. I think that's that that's maybe where more the realistic expectations can be is close out the season strong and at least be playing in a postseason tournament yeah. here. As much as I want to slow the roll, Will, of Vandy fans, at this point, it's hard not to talk. It's, <laughs> it's hard not to talk about the bubble talk right now because 13 and 10 right now, 5 and 6 in the SEC, they have not been in this position in the past two, maybe even three years. <laughs> I mean, they just haven't. So, Will, for this team, Rodney Chapman, I think, has been the story. Now, I know Liam Robbins is back, but they are 7 and 2 with Rodney Chapman in that lineup. And I don't know if I would have said, I don't know if I would have agreed with you if you told me they are seven and two with Chapman Alina before this season. I did not know how much of a role he would play, especially offensively. I think we knew what he would come, he would come in with defensively, but offensively, he has created a whole new dynamic with him penetrating, kicking it, kicking it out to Scotty Pippen. And I mean, he, he's a veteran. Well, he's a savvy guy that is that knows how to win. He's a winner. So, Will, that's my story of this season so far. My story is that Ronnie Chapman has changed the way this team has played. Yeah, I always come on here. I always do it. And when I'm wrong and call my shot, like I predicted Vanderbilt would play really well against Mississippi State in football, and I predicted actually an upset win, and they came out and got obliterated. <laughs> when I predicted that, I came on and said I was so wrong. So I want to come on now and say about Rodney Chapman. You that I was so one right. of the, I was talking more about Rodney Chapman before the season than I was about Liam Robbins. And that's not taking will, anything I'll, away from I'll, Liam I'll Robbins. I'll give you that one. I'll give but, you that but one. But to more. shake my hand on this one, Billy, you, were, you thank God some of my takes are at least recorded now. <laughs> I, I was constantly talking about Robbins is big and you're going to miss him in SEC play, which we're just getting him back for the point that I was talking about when you really feel Robbins and mm -hmm. needing that rim protection against these more athletic and bigger teams, at least to provide some depth for QMB. But earlier in the season, I talked about getting Scottie Pippen Jr. away from handling the ball and allowing him to play off the ball. And Rodney Chapman being a legitimate, steady hand as a secondary ball handler would open up this offense. Now, did I expect him, Vanderbilt to be 7-2 and two and coming out winning three of their last four SEC games and, and with him in the lineup, the offense exploding against LSU? And him having 24 points. No, that, I didn't see that coming. But I knew that the offense would look a lot smoother with him on the court. Now, it's not necessarily relieved a lot of these issues. They're still scoring droughts. Mm -hmm. There's still issues. The point is improvement. It, it's small steps. You're going from a team that won three games in the SEC, from a team that won no games in the SEC and a couple years before that, to now you're being discussed as potentially a dark horse and maybe make a run at an NCAA at large berth in the tournament here in March Madness. That's a step forward. Then you bring in this class next year of Noah Shelby, Lee Dort, Malik Dia, and Colin Smith. Then you say, okay, now we take the next step forward, which is this time of the year we're talking about, can we be seated at a good spot? And, and where are we going to fall? And that can be the discussion as opposed to saying, can we even talk play our way into a potential bubble yeah. talk time not even right. a birth so we, there yeah. is there are these steps that are happening that you see that right at this point eyes. if you're not seeing them you're just pulling the wool over your own eyes right. i mean you you just have a disdain for this entire coaching staff and how things have kind of gone and you're soured so right. I, i've we've i've stayed very impartial on stack and right now he's trending up and a lot of that negative talk negative mentions those seem to be uh, dissipating from the Twitter airwaves out there, Billy. Yeah, well, I'm I'm with you. And well, last season this team did not know how to win. I think both of us can agree on that. They did not know how to win games, especially closing games late. And this season, Will, they are a brand new ball club in doing that. They did that against LSU. They did that on the road against Arkansas. And if they can find a way to do that, they did that against Missouri, a really bad Missouri team. And they found a way to See, bounce I don't back want, after some of those turnovers. Georgia's a really bad team. Missouri is just a bad team. Missouri, Missouri's a bad team. Yeah, they're, they're, a bad, they're, they're, not, they're a Q2. They're a Q2 team. Really bad team. They're yeah. a Q2, Q3 so, team. They're not good. That. But yeah, Georgia, Vanderbilt didn't really Georgia's have to bad. overcome anything. Georgia's really bad. But Missouri, okay, bad, maybe not really bad, but not, they, not they, good. That's, yeah, that's a win they needed to get. They got it and they overcame some turnovers late. And at the same time, Will, Vanderbilt right now, there's Joe Lenardi's got seven SEC teams in the tournament right now, which is insane. I mean, not five years ago, that definitely wasn't happening. But with Florida in the last four in, Mississippi State in the last four out, 
A&M is right in front of, of Vandy in the net rankings. Vandy plays all three of those teams down the stretch. They've got Florida, Mississippi State, and A&M. Everything is there for the taking. It's there for the taking for Vanderbilt right now. If they can, they've got, I think they've got to beat those three teams and they've got to pick up either Tennessee or Auburn. And I think they even have to win one more SEC game. I think four out of the last five and of, of those last five teams down the stretch, and they've got to pick off either Tennessee or Auburn. I think that's where we're at with Vanderbilt to even have a shot. I'm not saying they get in, but that's for them to even have a shot. They'd have probably have to make a run in the SEC tournament. But, Will, with this team right now, it feels like there's a little bit more confidence, especially after getting a win over LSU and now finding a way to beat Missouri, which that Missouri game, I don't know if they win that last year, Will. We've talked about games that they might not have won last year. That's one of them, I think. I think you can call a lot of those wins that they've gotten this season that, you know, that, that might not that might have gone the other way last season. So for Vanderbilt, Will, beating Missouri by eight doesn't matter. They got the win, 5-0 and oh in those gold uniforms, too. I think if you're Coach Stackhouse, you pack up those gold uniforms and you send them to Knoxville. Uh, I, I, I think that's what you do with those uniforms, Will, because they are winning in those and they're continuing to play in them. So, I mean, hell, if it takes Stackhouse to wear a gold suit, I mean, it, it, all, by all means. So, Will, eight-point win over Missouri, and for Vanderbilt, they everything's in front of them. So, but up next, Tennessee in Knoxville. That's a night tip-off, 6 o'clock Eastern time. Before we get into a little bit of this, Will, I'm going to call this a trap game. I'm going to call this a trap game because Tennessee welcomes Kentucky to Knoxville on Tuesday. That's why I think it's a trap game. But Tennessee is 12-0 at home. They're hot right now. They're playing really well. But Vanderbilt, Jordan Wright, guys like him who haven't beaten Tennessee, we've got some quotes here. Before I get to those, Will, do you agree with me in this being a trap game? Is that a reach? Because Tennessee-Kentucky, that's as big of a game for those two teams as, as it is all season. Could be reaching, but I'm going to call it a trap game. Not saying Vandy wins, but I, I think that's, that's what I might categorize it as. I don't know if trap game is the right word. I think that I don't think Tennessee's going to overlook Vanderbilt, especially when the last game went how it did. Mm -hmm. And it definitely wasn't a blowout by any stretch of the imagination. And Rick Barnes will be able to look at that team and say, and now they have their two starters back on this roster. Look how much better they're playing. Mm -hmm. I think that'll be plenty to focus them in. <clears throat> I can see it being for the players, not even a trap game, just a slight little look past. Just right, a slight right. little, we have a huge nationally televised game. This is our rival, but we are better than them. And I don't think the gap is as big as the rankings indicate, as the as the stats indicate. Mm -hmm. Their deeper analytic stats are not near as good yeah. as and they show out to be on the. Think so there, there are holes in this Tennessee team. I, I think even though they're 13th in Ken Palm right now, that they're probably truly more like in that 21st, 22nd, 23rd team. It's not, that's a really good basketball team. Mm -hmm. That's not, I've, that's where it gets confused. I'm not saying Tennessee's bad. I'm saying that they're like a top 20 to 25 team versus yeah. a top 15 team. And that's a big difference. And that's a winnable game for Vanderbilt. That's the difference in Kentucky versus a game that you can win like against LSU or Arkansas. That's the mm -hmm. difference there. And so Vanderbilt has potential to go into Knoxville and do something special. But you talked about the tournament hopes. I unfortunately think that canceled game against Stanford may oh, be looked back at as, as a lost opportunity just to put another win in that win column because mm -hmm. you have seven games remaining. Is, is Stanford a 13-2 team right now? They would I mean, definitely I, be Q2 or Q1. They're definitely they're Q2 not Q3. Right now. Yeah. yeah. So, so Vanderbilt, one, it's rarely, loss. rarely do you literally control your own destiny. And and right now, I think if Vanderbilt can, if they can win four of these last seven, which do have games against Tennessee, Auburn, and Alabama, and Mississippi State, who's a good team this year, Whew. they've got to pick up one of those, and they've got to beat Texas A&M, Florida, Ole Miss. Those have to happen. Mm -hmm. And and that's not an easy thing to do. That they, they lost to Florida sixty-one to forty-two earlier in the season, and what was probably their worst showing overall uh, this entire season, uh, especially offensively. I think it was even worse than the VCU game, mm -hmm. just because VCU's defense is so damn good. You can kind of make an excuse of uh, yeah. we didn't know how good they were. There was no way to prepare. But if they can win those four games, get in there, win one game in the SEC tournament, I think with kind of how limited a few of the schedules have been, you've seen a few cancellations, and a few move-arounds, and the injuries will play a factor. They'll see that Stanford game when they were really hot right there. I, I think 18 wins probably gets them in. And, and how do you get to that 18 wins? Obviously, 
there are different paths depending mm-hmm. on the SEC tournament, but realistically, you have to win four. If you, right. if you can win four of these last seven, you give yourself a legitimate shot. Say we are right there. Yeah. If you pick up three, you've got to pretty much make a run all the way probably mm-hmm. until the tournament championship, yeah. and you would have to lose there. So it, it's a tough spot they're in. They did it to themselves. The South Carolina games are going to loom large. Those are going to be, if you could just pick up one of those, you would be set up in a great spot right now. But unfortunately, they couldn't do that. Two disappointing losses there, but they picked up some wins maybe we didn't expect, Billy, and it set themselves up and at least to have a, to have an exciting last little yeah. stretch here. That I don't think we've said that in past years. No, we have not seen that in past years. And, and we'll... I know football, the way they evaluate teams for the college football playoff is a lot different than they do in basketball. I know the win column matters a lot, but I do think the eye test still matters for this Vanderbilt team. Like, hey, they might get a one-point win over, you know, a team at home, but how did they look in that? I, I think that might be. And, and I don't care what they well. say. I know that the NCAA tournament is slightly biased by the fact you could say if Vanderbilt can do it. Now they have to earn their spot. They have to win at least four games in this last stretch. But I, there's no way the NCAA tournament committee doesn't look at that and say, you know, maybe sliding Vanderbilt in those playing games with Scottie Pippen Jr., yes. who could potentially have a run in this tournament. He's the, the type ratings. of guy. He's the type of guy that you can say he could go on a stretch for three, four games and just become the guy of the tournament. And right. I mean, I'm not saying he's going to, but he's a guy with name recognition, mm-hmm. with star Stack power on a front. On a fr- yeah, on a fringe team, maybe a few names in there with a big class coming in. That could be a team that you could say, you know, maybe them versus a team like Dayton or right. or or right. Davidson. One I'm think I was thinking Davidson teams. because of Steph Curry, but that's obviously I'm not trying to say Scotty Pippen Jr. <laughs> Steph Curry, but Davidson. So you look at those and say which one of those they're super even, very even resumes. Vanderbilt's coming off these injuries, and little side note. They do have one guy that's particularly better than anybody else on either of these teams yeah. and could make for some exciting basketball. I, I take, so I they're, they're a team that, that I know in any team in the tournament would be like, I do not want to play Vanderbilt. Yeah. You do not yeah. want to play that team in a tournament because if they get hot, man, they shoot a lot of threes. And they if do. they get hot and they shoot over 40% like they did again against Missouri, man, they're tough to beat. Yeah. You talk about shooting a lot of threes, Will. They are getting interesting stat here. They're getting 10% more open shots this season than they were last season. That's the highest percentage out of all SEC teams. So there's a stat for you, uh, big guy. But yeah, I know you'd like that. But Will, Jordan Jordan Wright had an interesting quote on the Tennessee loss uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, He said two games ago, after that Kentucky loss, Coach Stackhouse told us we could write this ship if we win three games in a row. He said, I haven't beaten these guys yet, and I want this game worse than anyone else. So Jordan Wright, uh, hearing a quote like that, it's okay. These guys, I think these guys are going to be ready to go. And Stackhouse actually said, too, he said, the Tennessee game still sits in my mind. Having an opportunity there and the little details of not getting open and having those late turnovers, we're doing a better job of that. We went in after that game and put in a couple more late-game inbound plays, which I think some Vandy fans are going to be happy to hear that. Um, but, well, I, honestly, I think they'll be ready to go. Uh, it all, it's going to come down to, to defensively and if Tennessee gets their shooters loose. But if they, at the same time, will – I think we need to start talking about this team differently. Like as Vanderbilt fans as a whole, I think this is kind of a message to to Commodore Nation that the perception has changed. I don't care what you say about this staff. And if you're not a fan of Stackhouse or not a fan of the way they do things over there, but the perception has changed. Now this could age really well. They could lose four or five in a row. But I don't think that'll happen. I I have confidence in this team. Well, let, let's see what this team can do. Let's see what they have with Robbins getting back into the fold. And I, I'm saying we need to start talking about this team differently. I think we have. I think especially you have. Uh, but I think fans in, in particular and the SEC in general, I think will start taking notice. But the wins have to come. Now, you know, we can talk all we want, but these wins have to come down the stretch. And there aren't really any more excuses for Stackhouse and, and any of the players or any fans um, you know, everything's right there in front of them. They've got everybody they need and they're ready for a stretch run. So, well, if, if they can remain healthy, it's it's I mean, they're kind of like how the Titans were going into the playoffs. Yeah, you're like no, you're getting yeah. everyone back right when you need them. No excuses yeah. here. You have everything is kind of panned out where you needed it to. You've got the matchup you want. You've got King and Robbins obvious, back. Obviously, the Titans did not <laughs> perform up to expectations. And that's Nashville sports for you in general. Yeah, but. Hopefully Vanderbilt can avoid that. And and we said winning heals a lot. Winning fixes all. And it, this is 
This is where I, I wanted to go with this, and I wanted to mention this before we moved on, because Vanderbilt's probably going to lose the next two games. Like, that, that is where I want to get to. They're probably going to be close to seven, eight, nine-point underdogs in both of those games, mm-hmm. away on the road against top 13 Ken, Ken Palm-ranked teams. They're probably going to lose. Now, that's not my expectation, but as someone on the outside without Vanderbilt goggles on, you would say Vanderbilt's probably going to drop the next two. So as Vanderbilt fans, they've had a good stretch here, winning three out of the last four. The win over LSU was big. But just if they lose to number 13, Tennessee, or what are they in the AP? Number 19. 19, yeah. 19 in the AP, Tennessee, 13 in Kim Palm, and lose to number one in the AP, about to move down because of the loss, but number mm-hmm. one in the AP, Auburn, and number eight in Kim Palm, Auburn. Just because they lose those two games, the rest of the season, that that falls exactly where we expected. Mm-hmm. Then they have to make a hell of a run. They have to go five and one or, or four and one yeah. in the next games. But that that's not exactly ideal. But then you play Texas A and M at home, Alabama at home, at Mississippi State, Florida at home, and then at Ole Miss. Those five games, this team can win four of those five. I fully believe that if they remain healthy, and and that's where the addition of Chapman has just provided the scoring, mm-hmm. that that other scoring option you needed an outside threat alongside the secondary ball handler, and that's where I think we didn't expect it. He's shooting just yeah. a hair under forty two percent at forty one point nine percent. You have Studi finally that. over that forty percent mark. You've got two guys shooting over forty percent from three, and Pippen once again didn't have his best game against Missouri. This team is scary if you say when Pippen because it used to be if Pippen doesn't play well, they're going to lose. He has to play well, and even if he does play well, they might still lose. Now it feels almost like Pippen, if he plays well, they're going to demoralize the team. Right. And it's all about the supporting cast. Pippen is just – he is going to put in minimum – he had seven points against Chelsea. It's not going to happen. He's going to put in a minimum 12 to 14 points minimum a night. Can the supporting cast continue to knock down shots that are created by Pippen? Can Rodney Chapman continue to shoot like this? Can Miles Studi consistently knock down those open jumpers? That is where things have to continue to go. And QMB has to continue playing like this because, man, he has been playing like a man possessed down there in the paint. He does all the dirty work, all the winning plays. I tweeted it and said that Vanderbilt, this team just made three winning plays in a row. They missed a shot. QMB got the rebound. He got the foul. Q. And then Miles Studi pulled the rebound off the missed free throw all in a row. Those were all things that always happen against Vanderbilt. The other team has, in, in previous four or five years, has been pulling that offensive rebound mm. late. They've been, you know, getting that foul or pulling that, pulling that board off of the missed free throw. In the Missouri game, Vanderbilt did that. They didn't allow Missouri to get back into the game. And so credit to QMB. He's doing all the dirty work. He finally got the double-double. But, man, we got to get those free-throw shooting numbers up, man. Vanderbilt shot a lot of free-throws against Missouri. They still shot under 70, and QMB's still shooting under 50%. It just feels like one out of two every time. It does, it does, especially for Pippen, too. He's got to start hitting more of those. But, Will, I I think Pippen is still the straw that stirs the drink. He he still Mm -hmm. is. But I think you've got Rodney Chapman and now maybe Liam Robbins – that are maybe the Malibu on top of that whiskey and Coke. You may get a little bit of extra in there when you start spinning it around. I don't see, know. If Billy, I would have, I, I would have gone with like, see, maybe, maybe this is just me being out of college. I'm a more cultured man. <laughs> if, if you were talking about whiskey, I would have said that's, that's the rest of the old fashioned on top of the whiskey. Oh, that's yeah, the orange peel. That's the that's, bitters. Yes. That's the sugar cube. Yeah, uh, that, that's uh, where you should have gone there. Still, it's a little spritz of water. College, still in college. Ice cube, Malibu yeah. You're mixing Malibu and whiskey over here. That. I'm a classy gentleman. I'm hey, making old fashioned. So that, that's the two different levels do. right but, here at the door for. Yeah, we'll, rich man. <laughs> but we'll do the old fashioned. Uh, uh, Chapman is the bitters <laughs> and Robbins. You got a uh, little bit of the spices Whoa. in there, whatever you want to put on there. Uh, but, Will, that, I think that's still what it is. Pippin is still the straw that stirs this drink. And now you've got some extra a- added incentives in there with Chapman, Robbins, maybe a couple threes from Studi. And you've got more to play with. You've got more toys in there for Jerry Stackhouse. And that's what he was talking about. He's got more toys this season. Now he's got even more. It's a few more extra Christmas presents for him to work with. Everything's there, Will. Everything is there, and Vanderbilt just has to go take it. It really is. We haven't been able to say that, but now you can say that, and I think Vanderbilt fans should be starting to turn. And, boy, if they can get a win over Tennessee, that would change it even more. That will fully turn. Anybody, if they go up into Knoxville and beat Tennessee, that'll turn turn. everything. How in the world are you not on board if that happened? Like, this this is like they've played themselves to where this game doesn't feel like make or break. Like, that's a good feeling. It's like the season's not lost if they go up there and lose. 
But man, could this season become a massive success yep. just this off this season, win? Because the momentum it would build and the opportunities it would open up, man. Ooh. You're getting me a little excited, Billy. You shouldn't do that. <laughs> Every time that I get hopes up, I'm just waiting on an injury. Who's going to get hurt, You're baby? Who's the next soul one? Crushing injury. Yeah. How is Vanderbilt going to crush soul my crush. soul this time? That's that's the question. But will they would take a full U-turn if they were able to beat Tennessee on this season? It would turn on its heels, and then I think a lot of fans would 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 continue to hop on board. But will we do have one more segment here? Shane Foster joins the episode number thirty-two is now hanging in the rafters of Memorial Gym. Again, I'm really sad you couldn't join, Will, but Shane Foster is coming up. Do you have anything to say? <laughs> yeah, I I was gonna say some words that would have made this podcast explicit because yeah, but I know Shane has a busy schedule. You had to get it in when you could when you're scheduling. My all-time favorite player in black and gold and my all-time favorite player ever in basketball um, is, is Shane Foster. I got to interview Earl Bennett earlier and, and mm-hmm. got to talk to him. So that was the guy that got me into Vanderbilt football. That was my favorite player growing up, my favorite Vanderbilt player ever, just because that was who I remember as Vanderbilt football was Earl Bennett. But Shane Foster is that guy like times five because that was also the sport that I played. Well, I played for right. that. Was ter- uh, that wasn't my strength. Six foot, <laughs> 135 in high school. It wasn't really going to be what I was going to do. But but no, I was fine with getting hit. I just didn't go the right direction when I got hit. Um, <laughs> basketball, that was the number I wore. That's, that's where everything's connected with my gamer tags and my usernames on things are 32 because of Shane Foster. So... It, it, I, I'm very, very jealous, Billy. So, I, so I hope the interview is worth it because I uh, certainly was crying tears at my desk at work <laughs> while you were while you were doing that interview. It was worth it, Will. Uh, again, we'll uh, we'll get you on if we if if we interview another one of your favorites. Uh, I'll, I'll make sure that happens. But Shane Foster is coming up, the uh, legendary shooter for Vanderbilt, 32, hanging in the rafters. We talk about that with him, all that and much more coming up next here on the Door Report, powered by Alaco Fine Wood Floors. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back into the Door Report. I'm Billy Derrick, and I'm now happy to be joined by Shane Foster, the man of the hour, at least on Saturday nights, as uh, his number 32 is now hanging in the rafters of Memorial Gym. He's a class of 2010 Vanderbilt Athletics Hall of Fame inductee, 2008 SEC Player of the Year, and an AP All-American. He helped lead the Commodores to NCAA tournament appearances in 2007 and 2008, He's Vanderbilt's all-time leader in points and three-pointers made. He was drafted by the Dallas Mavericks in the 2008 NBA draft, and he's staying in Nashville, of course, doing a lot of great things in the community and with Vanderbilt's program, so we'll get into all that. But first off, Shane, thank you so much for taking the time. How you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, just trying to trying to stay on this cloud as long as I possibly can, man. <laughs> I had the most amazing weekend of my life, and um just just excited about you know what that means for myself my family um in the nashville community i gotta ask how does it feel to have number 32 hanging in the rafters now of the gym you used to play it you know i, I went to the gym last night um as as we were playing and, and beat missouri and uh, my wife wanted to go down and, and get a look at it you know and and she kind of joked and said you know we got to make sure it's still there it, it might have just been a dream right <laughs> um, yourself. it's yeah man i mean it, it it means so much uh for for many different reasons you know um uh, we we were just um just yesterday we we're thinking about it being um, you know, three years since David Williams passed away, a uh, great mentor and friend, father figure of mine. Um, and then to have Candace be the, um, the athletic director of Vanderbilt right now, who played a pivotal role in, in the decision to do this in the first place. And um, having so many of my, my family members here, my grandfather, 91 years old, my wow. grandmother, 
80 um, in the building here to witness it and, and, and enjoy, um, you know, sisters and brothers and cousins from all over. Uh, we're all here. And then, of course, you know, my teammates, many of which who, you know, live in other cities I hadn't been able to see as, as much as I like to. We had so many of our former athletes in town um, celebrating with us, excited about that. Coaches, um, Coach Stalin stopped by my house and, and, and you know, it, it was just an incredible, incredible opportunity to really reflect and uh, reminisce on some amazing games and, and experiences. But then when I think about Memorial Magic, right, our fan base, the Nashville community um, showing up in record numbers, you know, um, it was just a, an amazing time. As I was sitting there in tears, the rest of the fans were in tears too, you know, <laughs> that's, that's just how connected we've been uh, one to another. And so it's, 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 it's otherworldly. You know, it, it really, really is. And I'm just so grateful um, that the Vanderbilt community, this community thought enough of me to honor us in that way. Shane, you mentioned the fans and a lot of the alums that were able to come back. And I think for a lot of fans, it felt like a little bit of that magic had been brought back that night. Not that it's gone or, you know, it, it'll, it'll never come back. But, you know, when you were playing, it felt a lot of times that there was some magic in the air and that, you know, felt like at least the peak of, of that era. So for you, did it feel like that night kind of brought back a lot of those memories of, of playing in those games at Memorial gym and, and having those great performances? Could you feel a little bit of that almost like you were playing again? Absolutely. You know, as, as we were walking out on the court, it, it reminded me of my senior night, you know, how many, you know, fans stayed and, and cried with us, you know, as, as they called my name for the last time there, you know, in, in, in compete in competition. And then, you know, as I walked out on the court, you know, just being in that atmosphere, it was, I mean, obviously it was a halftime of an actual game. And mm -hmm. so, you know, you get those jitters, you know, and, it was just absolutely amazing. The student section was full and all wearing my jersey. I mean, you know, you you, you can't write books about this stuff, right? Like it's it's just otherworldly, man. And you know, it's just it's just amazing the atmosphere of the Vanderbilt Commodore Nation. Um, it's it's one of the best in the entire country, and and it was a special night. And obviously, our team were able to to beat LSU, um, a top twenty five ranked team, um, and and shot the ball well, played the best game they've played all year um, and certainly looking for them to continue that going down this stretch at SEC. Did you go to practice that week? I mean, what were you telling them? Were, were you in there uh, out shooting them in the gym? What, what what was it that made them shoot so well? Because it felt like your presence helped a little bit of that. Nah, I wasn't there at all. I can't take any of that that credit, man. They, they, they've done a tremendous job. They've worked hard. They've stayed a close knit group, um, really bought into to, you know, the, the, the process and what um, Coach Stackhouse is trying to get them to, to buy into and um, they've just they've worked on their game. You know, every player has brought something different to their game this year that they weren't doing last season. Um, and so, you know, as they continue to trust each other um, and, and move the ball and, and, and really, you know, encourage each other to be the best that they can be. And then, of course, getting Rodney back is huge. Um, it allows everybody to kind of settle into their own role on the team without having to overdo it. Um, and so it's, it's those kind of things that make a big difference on the court. And I think all of those things kind of came together in that moment. You mentioned the gym itself, Shane, and you, and you went uh, on the broadcast at halftime and kind of talked about, I know, you know, you guys talked about a lot of stuff, but they asked you about the gym and what made it so special and kind of how it does bring out really good shooting performances and maybe sometimes from the other teams. It seems like a lot of other teams like shooting in Memorial Gym as well. So looking back your career, what is it about that place? Obviously, and it gets record, you know, record highs of, of, of how, how loud it gets in there, but at the same time, is there something about it that when you're in that gym, there's kind of a comfort level for you as a player? Well, the, the court is is kind of raised, right? Mm -hmm. And so then you got the student section that's right there off a little cliff. And then you got the fans on the other side who feel like they're right there next to you. Um, and then, of course, the benches, uh, the players' benches and coaches' benches mm -hmm. are, are at the ends of the court as opposed to being on the sides. And so it's a different kind of atmosphere. It, it feels like a big-time game a hundred percent of the time. Right. And, and, and it's in those moments that you either, you either shrink up or you be your best self. 
right? And so that's what you're seeing, not only from our players, but as you mentioned, other players come into the gym. They're not used to playing in that kind of environment and, it, and it's exciting, mm-hmm. right? It's why you play college basketball, to play on courts like that, to play in arenas like that and to play in front of that many fans. That's why you play college basketball. And so it's an incredible advantage for us um, as you see coaches running up and down the sidelines, stomping, trying to get on the court to communicate with their guys. We're used to it. This is what we do. We're at home, right? And then, of course, our fan base is tremendous. And so, you know, that's really what it is for, for Memorial Magic. Yeah, and it was even a little bit tougher being able to win there as a visiting team because you were, as a head coach, you were not allowed to roam that that normal sideline. You were stuck on your bench, so I can't mm-hmm. imagine what it was like. You know, not only you guys are were familiar with it, but I couldn't imagine what it was like for some opponents. And Shane, I want to go back to everyone always asks you about your game against Mississippi State, and that's the common question I think. But I want to go back to a Tuesday night game against Tennessee at Memorial Gym. Y'all were able to knock off the number one team after they had just beaten Memphis and they were on top of the world. I remember it was a really cold night, uh, of course, a packed house. I think it was snowing outside, just kind of that atmosphere. I look back at that game and, and think of the whiteout and how, you know, th- there wasn't any issue of, of Tennessee fans in there taking over the crowd. That was Vanderbilt's crowd. That was Vanderbilt's night. And you guys controlled that night and, and you beat your in-state rivals. So, what looking back at that, what did that mean for, for you and your team and your career? And I think that's a game a lot of fans look back at and say, hey, you know, we if we could get back to that, man, things would be a little bit different. Well, that was actually the more complete game that I've played in my career as, as a Vanderbilt Commodore um, and really showing uh, how much I could do on mm-hmm. the court offensively and then defensively as well. Um But, you know, what I remember most about that game is the number of fans that were wrapped around the building in the snow Mm -hmm. coming to see us beat the number one team in the country. Right. Like and and the anticipation um, prior to that game. Right. I had professors that were saying, you know, you ain't got to come to class. I just want you to be ready (laughs) to play. Right. Like like that's everybody was all bought in um, to that experience. And certainly, you know, uh, we were able to come out with a victory and, and, and coaching staff put together a phenomenal game plan. Um, and we were able to go out there and execute. My teammates did a phenomenal job. Everybody played at their peak level um, in that game. And that's what it takes to be successful in the, in the SEC. You know, you don't have to be a superstar every night, but you got to play your best. Right. In order for you to be successful and, and especially you're beating the number one team in the country, which we got the opportunity in, in, in my group to, to be to do twice. Yeah. And so we beat Florida when they were number one as well. So, you know, it, that's what it takes. It takes you being your absolute best coming together as a team. Um, and, and we were able to do that. But I tell you, it was the fan base that really got us excited leading into the game. And then obviously just taking it over the top once we got on the court and, and, and as loud as it was in Memorial Gym. I, I, you talk about role players. I remember Keegan Bell in particular and Jamonte Graham were, were actually two pretty big parts of that one because, you know, they were t- kind of the smaller type of guard you were the the guy that could, that could get those shots off over over different outstretched arms but I just remember those two guys played really well and especially on defense I mean Tennessee had at that point they had some really athletic guards so as a role player does that kind of go back to what you were saying of hey we got to have everybody play their role because if we do you know we can end up beating this team Absolutely. You know, you meet, you mentioned Jamie, Jamie Graham, who's a coach. Jamie Graham. School. Yep. Said Jamonte. <laughs> That's his brother. Coaching high school here in, in, um, in, in Nashville does a phenomenal job, but you know, he played football and walked on as a basketball player, did a phenomenal job for us, really pushed us in practice and, and brought a level of physicality to our team that was needed. Um, he would go out and just hound, Mm-hmm. Um, uh, other opponents, guards, you know, um, and, and then Keegan Bell, of course, could really shoot the ball, but knew the game of basketball. His father was a basketball coach. And so his basketball IQ was really strong. Um, and, and a lot of the plays that he would make would be flashy plays that brought a lot of energy to our team, right? He was making no look passes, throwing oops, behind the back passes, these kind of things that, that a lot of people are scared to do on a, on a college floor. Cause if you, if you mess up one of those passes, you're, you're, getting, you're coming out immediately. Right. And so, but he brought that kind of flair to our team. Everybody plays a role. 
You know, I think about George Drake, who, um, you know, guarded me every single day in practice and, and he would, we would warm up together and he'd make it difficult for me to make shots. And, you know, our, our whole thing was if I could score on George, I can score on anybody in the SEC. Right. And, and, and coaching staff never called fouls on him. He just beat me up every day, but it made it that much easier on the basketball court. Right. And so, you know, it's, it's all, it takes everybody, every single person on that team playing at their peak performance levels in order for you to have that high level of success. You talked about your coaching staff, Shane at Vanderbilt. And, and I think a lot of Vanderbilt fans, you know, they think back at, at a lot of those teams, uh, but I think they forget about the influence that that coaching staff had coach Stallings, um, and his assistants and, and how important um, a lot of those wins were due to, you know, some of the play calls and some of the shots that were drawn up from Coach Stallings to, to get you open or buyers open or, or some of the other players. So uh, for, when you look back at Coach Stallings, I think every player kind of has a, a story or two on him and, and, and kind of his type of personality. So what do you remember most about playing under him and, and the impact he had on you as a player? Uh, Kevin is the best X's and O's coach I've ever been around. I mean, hands down, and I've been around a lot. Um, he just knows the game of basketball so well. Um, he, he would literally be able to watch the rotation of the ball and know which guy on our team shot the shot. Right. Wow. Like, he, like he had that kind of of knack for the for the game and, you know, his ability to put us in position to to really be successful on the court and to be able to think two and three and sometimes five plays ahead. Um, what I what I remember most is how often we would as a part of our scheme we would run certain plays over and over again through the course of the game. And whether the play worked or not, it really didn't matter, mm -hmm. but it was for the purpose of setting up a play that we were going to run in the second half when we really, really needed a basket. And a hundred percent of the time it would work. Right. And then, then the onus is just on us as players. We just got to make shots at that point. Mm -hmm. But we knew if it ever came down to just needing a basket or, or needing a stop or whatever the case may be, Right. Like he just he just knew the game to that level. And consequently, because I spent so much time with him and up in the office watching film and and, and really understanding his mind. Now, I know basketball like that. So now I'm able, you know, even even at 35 years old, outside of running up and down the court and me being gassed, very few people can beat me in a game of basketball because I know so much. Right. And so that's what I remember most about Kevin Stallings, really giving us the gift of understanding basketball. You talk about Stallings and, and you know, I think Vanderbilt basketball as, as a whole, you know, you look at kind of the, the, kind of the tenure of Stallings and then you get into coach drew and now you got coach Stackhouse there. I know you have a really good relationship with him and, and even a lot of the players on the team, you've been able uh, to kind of give back to that program. Uh, but how would you describe your relationship with, with coach Stackhouse and, and, and kind of what he's been able to do? Um, obviously a, a couple tough seasons here, but now it seems like, especially with a recruiting class uh, that he's excited about, I think fans should be excited about as well. How would you describe your relationship with him and also, you know, what he's been able to do in a short time here and also uh, this season where, um, you know, all hope isn't lost for a, for a postseason tournament bid? Well, here's the thing. Guys that get buckets like being around each other. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's just what it is, right? And so, obviously, Stackhouse one who did it at a high level at every level. Right. So really being able to connect with him, we've played golf together, really spent some time and he's just a phenomenal guy. Um, he's a great father. He's a great husband. You know, those are the things that stick out to, to me because basketball is going to take care of itself. You know, when you know the game, the way that he knows it and, and, and really understands player development and how to get guys to be their best selves on the basketball court. Um, he's intentional about the off the court things, ensuring that when they leave Vanderbilt, when they leave his team, they're going to be better young men who are prepared for the world. Um, but then of course, you know, he's doing all of the intangible things on the basketball court. When you see, you know, teams who come in and, and, and he's able to draw up plays and when they execute, it's a beautiful thing to watch, um, you know, him being able to devise uh, uh, defensive schemes that are able to take teams out of their comfortable sets and really cause a lot of havoc. 
get us back into some games where we have an opportunity to to uh, play to win at the end. You know, he's the right coach for this team. You know, and and from a recruiting standpoint, you got to remember we have three or four guys in the NBA right now that would still be playing. Mm-hmm. Right. So so imagine if he's coaching with Scottie Pippen Jr. with with Jordan. He also has um, Saban Lee, Darius Garland, Aaron Neesmith. You're talking about the number one team in the SEC, hands down. Yeah. Right. And 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 he's not even had the the full roster of the team that he has currently, right? And but he's still been able to put a product on the floor that is not only a fun team to watch but a team that, that can really play at a high level as we saw them beat the number 25 team in the country. And so I really love what Stackhouse is bringing to the Commodores. Yeah, you mentioned the win over LSU, and, you know, it felt like that win did a lot for their confidence. You had Rondy Chapman back. Uh, I know Liam Robbins wasn't able to get in there, but especially with him back, he was back against Missouri. How much do you think he can change the game, especially, I mean, he – I think he blocked three, maybe four shots against Missouri, and he was affecting uh, the game in a way that Vanderbilt hasn't had in a long time. So with those two guys back in the rotation and Stackhouse now, you know, with his guys that that he feels, hey, let's make a run at this thing. What What's your feeling now here down the stretch of this season and 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 what they can potentially get done? Because at this point, Shane, they beat Arkansas. They they beat that Arkansas team that went and beat Auburn, the number one team in the country right now. So for this team, I've been telling a lot of people they can beat anybody when they play their best. They can beat anybody. Now, a lot has to happen. But at the same time, this team has that potential. So down the stretch here, uh, what things are you looking for, uh, especially on the road against Tennessee for this team to, to, to get done here down the stretch? Well, I think it's about staying healthy. One, I think uh, Liam's obviously got to get in shape. You know, getting into basketball shape is not conditioning, right? It's not weightlifting. It's playing games, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's completely different. Those couple times running up and down the floor with the lights on and, and the excitement and the adrenaline going, and it's exhausting, right? And so he, as good as he has the potential to be, he, he's, he's got to play. He's got to get that playing experience. And once he gets that under his belt, then then we'll be able to see the best of Liam Robbins. And I, and I think, you know, collectively, the team has got to learn how to play with him on the floor. We haven't had that all year, right? And so you got to work out some of those kinks and it's Stackhouse job to, to be able to expedite that as fast as possible. Um, but, but, but some of that just comes with time. So I'm excited to see what that's going to look like heading into the SEC tournament. Um, but also, you know, having Rodney back is huge. Obviously, we're seeing that now, that the intangibles that he brings to this team, um, off the bounce, his shooting ability, his confidence in himself, right, and allowing Scotty to kind of play off the ball a little bit and have a different matchup even when he's on the floor. It changes everything for our team. When our bigs can finish and, and as well as, you know, clean that glass a little bit, we, we really can, as you said, beat any team in the country. And, and it's all about making sure that we stay within ourselves, right? Don't put too much pressure, but go out there and play hard and play smart, but play for each other. Right. And once our fan base gets behind us in that kind of way, like we did for 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 these last couple of games, I mean, the sky is really the limit. I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. And, and Vanderbilt has Tennessee on Saturday night, a game that'll be in Knoxville. It's a five o'clock local time tip. Um, I know a lot of fans, I think, are really excited to see what this team can do in Knoxville, especially with uh, Liam Robbins back and, and, and Chapman continuing to play. But Shane, I want to ask you kind of what you remember about playing in Knoxville. And, uh, you know, I know you guys probably liked playing Tennessee better in Nashville, but uh, what what do you remember about playing in Knoxville at, at uh, Thompson Bowling Arena? Uh, of course, usually a pretty good atmosphere. I hated it. <laughs> I, I hated every minute of it. it. It was just like Florida. I hated playing there. I never won at Florida. Um, I did win, I think, once or twice um, in Knoxville. Um, you know, but their, their atmosphere is, is second to none as well. I mean, they, they really, really do a great job of coming out and supporting that team. It's loud. Um, and, and, and their fans and their, their student section, they really, really get into it. It's a hard place to play. Um, and, 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 you know, it's, it's one of those courts again, that, that has kind of a pro atmosphere to it. 
um, the way that they've, you know, invested in, in their program there. And, and it really is, it's a tough environment. And so I'll, I'll really, really be looking forward to seeing, you know, how our guys respond in that moment. There's certainly a winnable game for us, but we got to go and play our best basketball. That's what it is on in the SEC on the road. You got to play your best basketball. You got to bring it every single night to give yourself a chance to win it in the end. Shane, as a guy here, real quick, not from Nashville, I know you spend a lot of time in Nashville, but, you know, I'm sure you learned what that rivalry is like, you know, kind of through the years at Vanderbilt for you as a freshman, being able to play against them. And then as a sophomore, kind of build up, it built up to your senior year, you're able to beat Tennessee at home. What does that rivalry mean to you? And, and kind of how did that, how did that kind of form in your mind? And, and when did you realize, hey, okay, these fans really don't like each other? Yeah, you know, it's it's really more so about the fans than it is about the players as it relates to the rivalry. You right. know, as you said, you know, so many of us, you know, come here, we're transplants from other places, right? And so you, you kind of got to learn ab about what that means and the history of it, why it's important and those kind of things. Um, but I, I tell you what, man, you know, just being an in-state rival, you know, and that level of competitiveness, wanting to be the best school in the state when it comes to your particular sport, um, you know, it's everything. You know, and in, in that moment when the ball goes up, you know, it's 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 time to put it on. And, you know, at the end of the day, you, you want to be the best when you put on that jersey, you put on those shoes, you step out on that court, you want to be the absolute best. And so having an opportunity to say that here in this community um, over and over again is really important and, and it makes you feel good. You walk with your your head a little higher. Um, and, and I'll tell you what, in Nashville, you, you got a you got a lot of Vanderbilt fans. You got a lot of UT fans, mm -hmm. right? I play a lot of golf around here and I'm, I'm seeing orange tees all over the course, right? Like there's a lot of Tennessee fans here. So to be able to come out with some wins is really important. And you're going to feel the impact of that as you walk around the city. Shane, real quick, as I let you go, I know we touched on this a little bit earlier, but with Stackhouse's recruiting class coming in and some of the momentum that he has with this season right now, what would be your message to Vandy fans who, you know, are kind of anxious and, and, and looking forward and, and they'll do anything to, to fill up Memorial Gym, uh, Gym again uh, like you did uh, during your career? But what, what would be your message to them? My message would be very simple. We got to support these kids. At the end of the day, that's what it boils down to. We must support these kids. Um, the reason that we were so good my junior and my senior year is because our support never wavered my freshman and sophomore year when we were literally going to the NIT tournament. It wasn't a guarantee that we were going to win every single game, but our fan base was there. Our student section was there not only just encouraging us, but really supporting us and, 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 and continuing to tell us messages that, you know, at some point this thing's going to turn around and you all are going to be really good. These kids need that too. They need to feel what it's like to have, you know, a, a dedicated fan base who loves and, and welcomes them and is all in with them. Right. And, and the more we're able to do that, the better our teams will be. Jane, really appreciate you taking the time as I try to catch my breath here towards the end of this. But, uh, you know, really appreciate you coming on. Again, congratulations on your Jersey retirement. And uh, we, we can't wait to get you on again and uh, keep this season rolling. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me.